You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practice Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron. We're committed to making sure you get the best information. We want these podcasts to be very impactful and to help you create a better practice and a better life. And we're going to do exactly that today with an amazing coach here. Her name is Miranda Beeson, and she shares the three reasons you should share numbers with your team. I know some of you are afraid of doing that. I'm telling you right here and now, once you make the transition of talking numbers, everything gets better. She also shares her top 10 list of the numbers that you should share with your team. Listen up. I know you'll love it. And we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. Are you having fun? I hope you are, because we're having a blast. And today, we're going to go down that path. Some of you are asking this question. How much should I share with my team? And when I say how much, how much of the numbers should I share with my team? And we're going to answer those questions for you today on the drive or whether you're cleaning the basement or you're on a walk, please listen to this because we're going to help you through it. And I have an amazing human being to help us. She's a brilliant rock star here. She's one of our lead practice coaches, Miranda Beeson. So, Miranda, thanks for being on. I really appreciate you. No problem. I love being here. Glad to be back. Yeah, what's really fun, you guys don't see this, but she sends me a whole bunch of, like, show notes. So, if you're watching the video, like, she's like, stick to the rails, like, ask. So, (laughs) we've already thought this out in great detail about what to share. And, uh, Miranda, I always like to start here. I like for people to know who they're listening to. So, who's Miranda Beeson? Give us a little background. Sure. So, as you mentioned, I'm a lead practice coach with ACT. Love helping teams to navigate questions just like this and more on a regular basis. I have spent over 20 years in the field of dentistry, starting in clinical as a hygienist and then transitioning into business team roles and eventually a practice administrator. So I've seen it from every angle. And um, yeah, I like to share my experience with people like you and everyone listening to the podcast and helping coaching clients. 
Yeah, it's awesome. And Miranda just gets things done. Straight shooter. She knows a lot. And so let's talk about the why in this question. This, as you coach practices, some big, some small practices, this is a common question. Let's talk about the why. Sure. Most of the time, the the question stems around either have I shared too much or am I not sharing enough? And the why behind it is really simple. It's really three things. You want to create accountability. The numbers and sharing the numbers helps with commitment with your team. And it also helps to build trust to help you guys move forward. So it's really accountability, commitment, and trust. There's a whole lot more, but it really kind of sums it up into those three reasons why sharing the numbers can be helpful. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about each one of those. I want you to go back and we're going to go through each one of them. And I'll share with you, if you're listening, like I went through this whole journey as a business owner, 25 years of owning Act Dental, and I struggled early on. I didn't want to share all the numbers. I didn't want it to be about money. And so I was like, hey, we can do this. Come on. It was a lot of like motivation and I care about people and I'm a wuss. So I didn't like to talk about that. But I'll tell you the opposite of what I thought was going to happen, happened. When we started talking about numbers, I thought people would go, this is all about, I thought it would go backwards. It went forwards in a weird way. Like I had great people who I thought would not like the numbers. They got a little competitive. They started asking tough questions. And so it was very interesting. Now I want you to go back to each one of those three. Let's go back. You use the word accountability. Take us through that. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, accountable people appreciate numbers. I've always been someone who's a very accountable team member and nothing brought me more joy than knowing where did you need me to go? Where's the goal? What's the target? How can I get there? It's the people who want to be held accountable, who want to grow within your practice. They're all in. They love having numbers to help drive them there. Right. Um, it also holds the team accountable to applying countermeasures when needed. When I'm talking with teams and coaching with teams and introducing numbers and KPIs and tracking and all those things, we talk a lot about comparing it to when you go to the doctor. How do you know if you're healthy? You have your blood pressure read. They may draw your cholesterol levels, right? There's all these numbers and data that we gather to determine our health so that we right. can decide, do we need medication? Do we need to exercise more, right? What countermeasures do we need to put in place? Okay, wait. I love that word. I love, some people don't, I get this question all the time. Like, what is a countermeasure? Can you define that? What is that? <laughs> Sure. So it's just, what is something we need to do? Start, stop, or pause. What is something we're doing well that we need to keep doing? What is something that is obviously not working that's resulting in this data point or this number that we need to stop doing? And maybe we need to think about starting something different instead. Right. I love it. I absolutely love it. And so I'll tell you my journey on countermeasures, because what Miranda is saying is exactly true. There were times when we started down this path and we report a number and it would be bad. And we go, OK, it's bad. And then we go, OK, next number. <laughs> when it's not good, you have to describe what you're going to do to make it good. My son is a type one diabetic. When we look at numbers that are not good and they're in the red, the doctor instantly comes up with a plan and it's called a countermeasure to get it in the green zone. So I want you to think of that as, okay, let's teach our team. When we have a number in the red, we need a countermeasure. 
kids on a baseball diamond in fourth grade can figure out countermeasures. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They just need to be taught that. Now, I want to just say one more thing about accountability because you're, 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 you're provoking some triggers for me. And again, this is like, <laughs> so, so if you're listening in the car and you're driving, like this is a little mini therapy for me too, because I'm going to tell you, I'm just like you, like accountability is a word that's used a lot. And I think it's misused. And here's what accountability is often. It's account, like it's accountable. We're accountable. What I learned later in life is that accountability requires accounting. It's not a trust issue. Like you don't trust me. Now, raising teenage daughters, if you have any or you've done this, they always go, you don't trust me. I completely trust you. But the accountability measure here is it's a time when you have to be home. Because if you don't do that, it's it goes on to this whole subjective thing. So I think when we use the word accountability, we have to use accounting so that we are talking about the same thing. Would you agree? Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. Like you have to you you so many things around accountability can seem negative. And it really is the same thing like you were mentioning before. It feels a little icky. It's the harder thing to do um, to face those negatives when when those numbers are in the red and not in the green, it's just like, oh, we can just skim past that for now. Um, and it's the same thing, accountability with numbers for practice owners and holding themselves accountable. We've been talking internally at ACT lately about the path you take. And the easy path is usually the if you're at a fork in the road and it's going to be hard or it's going to be easy, we're, right. we're going to go with easy. And so the same thing's going to happen with a practice owner. If it's a challenge, it's going to be easier to just take the easy way out and kind of put your head in the sand and keep moving forward. But the numbers and monitoring that data over time helps hold the practice owner accountable too, to sometimes chasing after that harder path so that it becomes easier in the long run. Right. And so are you calling me out on something like, so that's so true because as, as a practice owner, you think you could just call audibles and you go, well, I own this place. Well, you have a level of accountability also. And when you have numbers, they can keep you on track so you don't get distracted. So, and, and oftentimes what happens when we're talking around numbers in a team meeting, if something's not on track, there's an excuse. There's someone who puts their voice into the room like, well, I'm not sure if that data is really tracking because it doesn't feel like that's this way to me. Like, I don't know that we really have 75% capacity. I feel like we're scheduled. We're crazy busy all the time. And it's that gut feeling. Someone's always yeah. putting their gut feeling or subjective opinion around this data into the room. And what we know is the numbers don't lie. They're, yeah. they're objective. As long as we're putting that data in our software properly, the data we're getting out of it is truth. Yeah, totally. So two things I want to just say before we go on to the next one is number one, like you said, you're pointing to this whole thing. Data removes all emotion. It speeds up time. When you have data, it just takes out all of the, like, I feel this, I feel that. It's data. We're just calling out data, and those are facts. The second thing, and I'll go one step further than you on this, I'm just going to say this. The favorite people you ever work with, they love accountability. They yes. love it. They love numbers. They love improving numbers. They like knowing their numbers. Your least favorite people you'll ever work with don't want to talk about numbers. They just want to come in, do what they do, and they want to leave. And so you as a business owner have to decide what kind of culture do I want to create? Could you imagine a day where you go to the middle school and you say to a teacher, 
hey, how's my son doing? And the teacher goes, well, I don't know. Like, we don't do grades here. We just give stars. And I gave him a few stars. You'd be like, new school. I got to get out of here. So, um, so, so true. It's so it's true. So true. And, and, and that really kind of ties in with the next thing around numbers, which is commitment. When you have team members who know where the practice is going, what are these numbers? What do they mean to the long-term vision? Those right people in the right seats, it's going to build even more commitment towards that vision with you. You want them rowing in the same direction, taking you toward that target that you've charted the course for. And knowing the numbers and letting them participate in managing of the numbers, reporting on the numbers. Are we on track? Are we off track? What do we need to do? That keeps everybody rowing in the same direction. And those team members that you just mentioned that love accountability, they're the ones who are really going to step up their commitment level to that vision when yeah. they're a part of knowing those numbers and tracking that data. Yeah. Now, a, a little hidden fact, if you're a listener, is that there's a coach's chat here that I'm not part of. They don't let me be part of it. It's a room that I can't get into, but I hear about it and I hear it's great. But one of the things our coaches say here consistently consistently is you can get results or you can make excuses. You can't do both. And so what you're ultimately doing, not in the short term, but maybe in the long term, is you're creating a group of people that really like to set goals. And if you've ever dreamed of a day where you're like, can I just set the vision and then they can go to work on it and we surprisingly hit goals, that's how you do it. And what Miranda's saying is absolutely true. You have people that are commitment, committed to like, okay, just let me know where we're going with this. I'll find a way. And you already think of a few team members that you just told them what to do. Hey, we need to collect 100%. Let me do it. And they do it. So lean into it. Don't lean away from it. Lean into it. What else do we know to, need to know about commitment? So the other thing, which is a little bit easier for team members who don't love the business side quite as much to buy into is it's our commitment to patients. If we're committing as healthcare providers, that we're going to be giving the best level of care that we possibly can, providing the best options, treating their health optimally, treating their disease optimally. The numbers are going to help us to know, are we giving the best care we can give to our patients? Right. Some of the numbers around that, if we talk about periodontal percentage, when we go in and start working with teams and coaching hygiene teams, um, you know, and maybe people listening, you have one, two percent perio within your practice. It's not uncommon that that happens. But when we're working with those teams, oftentimes it's because they just feel like, oh, I don't want to give my patient the bad news. So they're still doing the treatment. They're still treating that disease. They're just not necessarily coding for it or reporting it in that way. When we see that periodontal percentage number increase over time, what we know is we're giving those patients the optimal, most appropriate care, and we're, we're coding for it and we're doing that and reporting it properly as well. So it's not just to see the numbers grow and to see the bank account grow and the business become more successful. It's also so we can measure, are we providing and committing ourselves to that optimal level of care for our patients consistently? Yeah, totally agree. And I was thinking of the Perio number when you mentioned that, because again, this whole show is about best practices. And so we're going to show you what really great healthcare providers do. And as a result, there's numbers that show that they're focused and they're dialed in. And then these relationships, there's relationships behind these numbers with other numbers. You know, you watch the Perio numbers go up, you're going to see restorative numbers go up naturally. That happens every single time. People start paying full fee for what you do. So it's only the tip of the iceberg. 
when you start going down this path. And you can also diagnose more. So what is there anything else on commitment that you would say when it comes to numbers? The last thing I'd say around commitment is just commitment to the schedule. Like I think every single person listening can relate to having holes in the schedule. And as a practice owner, it makes you so uncomfortable to see holes in the schedule because you know what that's doing, right? To the financial success of your practice. Now, as a team member, especially early on before I knew numbers. So I'll share a little story with you. Mm -hmm. So when I was an early hygienist, I did, you know, I was top of my class, did all the things right. I was that employee from day one that was all in, but I didn't understand the numbers. I didn't understand tracking KPIs, what they were overhead, nothing. So when I got a hole in my schedule, you best bet I was going to protect that hole. I wanted that cancellation to stay in there. I wanted it to be first thing in the morning or last thing in the day. What? <laughs> or maybe right after my lunch. And I was so excited because I got a break for goodness yeah. sake. Once I learned what that meant to the practice, what that meant financially overall, what it meant to my you know paycheck in the end and everybody else's, I didn't want holes in the schedule anymore. I realized how impactful it was in a negative way. And I was so committed to do it. I would go in the hygiene recare room and call to try to fill that hole myself. Yeah. You know, so once your team knows the numbers, what they mean and how they benefit the practice as well as themselves, they're going to be more committed to maintaining a full schedule and keeping that capacity up where it needs to be too. That's so funny. We're going to bear our souls on this podcast. And so Miranda, you're not in the, you're not in that boat alone. Like Chris did one. If you guys listen to the podcast, a few episodes uh, earlier, Chris talked about capacity and opening and she said the exact same thing. She's like, when I didn't understand the business, I was like, it was awesome. When I had a cancellation, I'd get caught up in my notes. I'd sharpen instruments. You know, you could take a breather and now I feel bad because that was a lot of hours. And so what you're doing is you're taking people from unawareness to awareness, and now they're bought in on making sure it's successful. So uh, that is awesome. Now, speak about the trust thing. The trust is important, too, and I love that component. Yeah, I think that, you know, when practice owners are really transparent around the numbers, team members don't have to guess. They don't have to guess about the security of the practice. Like, we've heard about those um, practices where I didn't make payroll this month right? Mm -hmm. A team member doesn't ever want to have to experience something like that. So when you're open and transparent around the numbers, now I'm not saying tell them what's in your bank account, but enough to know that our practice is healthy. We're in the green quite often. When we're in the red on these KPIs, we're doing things to change it, to get back on track. It helps the team to feel more confident and more secure, limits the skepticism that might be you know, creating in their mind, the storytelling that comes up in their mind around the practice when we're open and honest. It builds trust between the team and leadership and the doctors. Absolutely, and so you look at teams that do well, they establish a lot of trust. You know, we're in the city of Milwaukee and one of the hottest things here is the Marquette basketball team. And if you watch any of the interviews, any of them, they all ask, what's the secret this year? All of them are using the same word. It's trust. We trust each other. We trust each other. And so oftentimes trust is used in the negative sense, like we don't trust each other, but you're exactly right, Miranda. If I'm a team member and I'm an assistant and I'm like, wow, we have goals and we've achieved those goals this quarter, it builds a collective 
trust and confidence. I now trust the person at the front. I now trust the leader that we can do this. And that collective trust grows. I'm like, well, we only did that much last quarter. I bet you we could do more. And you as a dentist go, what? What are you saying? Like, so it's awesome. Yeah, it goes both ways. You can trust your, like as a team member, you can trust the doctor more, but the doctor can start to trust the team. Right. When the team understands what's going on and they can work together, like we talked countermeasures, to put those countermeasures in place. And you as the practice owner start seeing that happening without you having to, it's kind of like with your kids, they're going to start cleaning the room without begging them and yelling at them and asking them to clean their room. All of a sudden, I'm just going to trust that they're going to clean their room. Yeah. And so you can start as a practice owner, really trusting your team as well, because it goes both ways. Yeah. One of the things that you hate and they hate is when you micromanage things. Yes. And they hate it and you hate it. You hate checking in on people, making sure... But it's so cool. It's true what you're saying. Once you have that trust and we have a number and by the end of the month, just get us there. You don't have to micromanage. And yeah. they love it that you're not micromanaging. Keep going. This is awesome. Yeah. So we talk all the time at ACT about E minus R equals C. So expectations minus reality equals conflict. And we know that trust and conflict really are hand in hand. If, right. if we can create expectations around these numbers with our team and expectations around what we're going to be doing to implement changes to those numbers over time. The reality can then match and reflect that and will limit the amount of conflict that we have between team members, between departments, between leadership and team members, sometimes even between leaders. Right. <laughs> we have multiple leaders on a team. And so that's going to lead to less conflict. And that's just going to mean stronger trust overall within the team as a whole. Yeah, I was talking to uh, another fellow volleyball parent and he is uh, the chief of, he's the fire chief here in Milwaukee. And he's like, I love my, he said, but you'll never, no one ever tells you that human dynamics are like the biggest challenge in any leadership position. And what you're talking about, Miranda, is E minus R equals C. Your stress as a dentist, your stress as a team member is usually not the dentistry. It's not the numbers. It's the interaction or the level. Of, and so what's really cool about the E minus R equals C is if you and I have agreed on a number and you can hit the number and we work together to hit the number and we're not always going to hit the number, but most likely we're hitting the number. Now those dynamics of me telling myself a story about what you're doing during the day, go away. I'm like, she just hits the number. We agreed on it. And so all that stuff that's in your brain, that's really bad, negative self-talk, it slowly goes away when you E minus R equals C. So cool. Yeah, so and the, the number of times that, you know, I've worked with doctors where it's, they're sitting in their office during the day and they're like, what does Jody even do up there? Mm -hmm. Like every time I walk up front, it doesn't seem like she's doing anything, right? And so we kind of talked about the micromanaging there for just a minute, but it really comes back to trust. If you can see that these are the key performance indicators, these are the numbers that Jody's primarily responsible for, and they're killing it. So Jody's probably doing some pretty awesome things up there, right. and we really don't need to sit in our office and stress and worry. We can trust that she's on top of it because we can see it in the data. Now, if it's the other way around, it might be worthy of a conversation. Yeah. Right? No, but no. it's going to help you have that trust. Totally. Go go a little bit further on there. And you have in the notes here the transparency part on trust, which I love. So explain that. Yeah. I mean, so many of us, 
it, it's the harder thing to do, right? To to clear the waters. It's that that muddy, murky water and navigating through it. It's it's tough. And sometimes that's what a conversation around these things can feel like. It's a very vulnerable thing, sharing our numbers, sharing the financial. And when we're talking right now, we're talking about KPIs, which um, are a little more universal. I think people are more used to sharing things like that. But what about just overhead and like what the concept of that is? Not getting into, and we can talk more about that in a minute, like the um, how much too much is it around the financials? But when you start to clear the water for the team and really create that transparency and what does this number mean to you, to your teammate, to the practice, to our patients? And if it's not going well, can we just have a conversation around it? I trust that you want to do better around this and I want to help you. So can we just clear the water? Let's have a very transparent conversation and move forward about how can we implement something different? Obviously, what we're doing is not working. What else can we do? Tell me your thoughts. You do this every day, Jody. You probably have better ideas than I do about how to fix this number. Let's yeah. walk through it together. Well, let's clear the water during this podcast episode. Let's just go there. And in the <laughs> sweet spot, when we're going to talk about numbers. So we've given you like a framework for why and how. Now let's talk about the numbers that you would share and in order. So Miranda, if you're coaching a team, what are some of your favorites? when it comes to sharing numbers with team members. Awesome, yeah, so I kind of have my top 10 ready for you today. And our I listeners. love it. So gross production, you know, just right off the top. That's the easiest to access. It tells us the biggest picture. But beneath that, we wanna look at what's our net production. So we wanna see what's the difference between what we're reporting that we're making and after all of our adjustments and write-offs, what are we really producing? And I'll stop right there for just a minute because yeah most team members don't even know that those are two different numbers. They don't. And you can't even assume as a dentist that those are the correct numbers also, because there's inherent challenges with really reporting your gross production. And, and we, this is not what this episode's about, but the point is this, as we, as we share them, you're going to go, that isn't correct. Like, I feel like we did a lot more. And as you do further investigation, you're going to see, oh, I didn't put my sister's case into the computer. I didn't even put any of that in there. I think what you'll do is you'll lean into best practices on processes. You'll put your full master fee schedule in there. So I think it's important to start the journey and report those numbers because of what you're saying, the transparency part, you're going to go, that doesn't wait. That doesn't make any sense. And then the net production thing, that's going to stress you out. So you're going to see the average practice in the United States that participates with PPOs writes off 42% and climbing. So when you're noticing the difference between gross production and net production, it's an awesome conversation with your team to help them understand what does this really mean? You know, so um, well, we look at that. So even if it was only 25%, which we know is it's so much more, that's one day out of your four day work week that you're working for free at 42%. That's almost half of your work week that ultimately you're working for free. If we're writing off 42% of the dentistry that we're providing. Okay. So you're giving is- me chest pain now. I have chest. <laughs> I, 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 I have virtual chest pain right now. <laughs> It's important for your team members to understand that, though. And if you are someone who's considering transitioning to more insurance independence, the team understanding those numbers, again, when we go back to trust, 
then they will trust in the security because that can feel scary to a team member because just like most doctors, most of us lean into insurance participation, right? You go on any other forum, we talk about this all the time, uh, blogs and forums online, they're gonna tell you, participate with every insurance because you'll get more patients, you'll get more patients. But what we know, and through our processes is that's not the way to become more profitable really and live a better life and have that better practice. So we know that we have to help our team members to understand that too. We're seeing that from our bookkeeper on a monthly basis, those adjustments and what we thought we made versus what's really going in the bank. We have to help our team members to understand that there's a shift and there's a write-off. There's that, that difference there between gross and net production. Yeah. And let me say something. Absolutely. We could talk. I want to talk about that. And and as a dentist, I'm just going to tell you, you do need them to understand this because if you do 1.5 million in gross production right now, and you're writing off 42%, your only game, most of them is I just got to do more. And so you're going to be working harder and harder and harder for less. And they need to be your co-pilot. They have to be fighting for you. And if you don't train them, they're just going to do what you've told them to do at the beginning, which is fill the schedule, fill the schedule. And before you know it, those write-offs will climb. So let's go to collection. Hold on. Even worse, your front office team member, when they answer the phone, isn't going to feel comfortable having that conversation, telling someone that you're out of network. And they're going to say, just, just look on the back of your card and call the insurance number and they'll tell you who's contracted. Okay. Bye. Okay. Now I have chest pain and I'm hyperventilating. So like, you're exactly right. And you guys, you know, we're not here to freak you out. The truth of it is, is we make light of this, but it's so true. When dentists just put their heads down and go to work, it's amazing the unintended consequences that happen to their practices and their lives. And so we want you guys to be at least knowledgeable and aware of this stuff. And by little tweaks, you don't have to fix it all right now. Little tweaks every month put you in a whole different situation a year from now. So tell me about collections. What about collections? Collections is super important to know. Obviously, we need to know what we're producing, but does that even matter if we're not collecting the money around what we're producing? And that really feeds right into our AR percentages and knowing where we stand on accounts receivable. It's really important for your team as a whole to know what's our collections percentage this month. Did we get 100% of what we produced or did we get 75% of what we produced in the bank? That matters. And in the same regard, it fills right into accounts receivable. If we didn't get all of that money, it's just money's owed to us that's going to keep going on down the line. Old money, as they say. But it's still technically money that we have to try to figure out how to get back in the bank. Absolutely. And just like patient care, you have what's called practice care. And so you might think, oh, we do a good job. We collect 93%. Well, what you don't know is that is not good at all. And so you should collect 100%. And by reporting those numbers, you can be a team member's coach. You can help them. You can send them to Miranda's administrative course and and think better about money. But somebody's got to know the standard is the standard. You should be collecting 100%, if not more of that, because of the past you know, past, uh, past due stuff in, in AR. And having an unhealthy AR is like, setting it up for terrible relationships with your patients. So I could go on and on and I won't, I but let, let's I go. To, do a podcast on every KPI. I, you can't. literally could, you could. So <laughs> please take notes. And if you're not taking notes, don't worry. We're taking notes for you. So you can go down the show notes. What's number five, num- the fifth number you'd share. 
Number five is our reappointment percentage. So our hygiene reappointment percentage. Of the number of hygiene patients that come through the practice, how many of them are we pre-scheduling and reappointing right then and there for their next visit? Because that's going to maintain uh, our schedule over time, right? So we're tracking that hygiene reappointment percentage. And a couple of other hygiene numbers. Wait, 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 wait. Go back, go back, go back. Because like, I can't, I'm sorry, I have an issue. I so. I, like you're you're sharing my favorite stuff and I'm like, well, you got to tell me what the number would be like. OK, so if I'm a dentist listening, my reappointment percentage should be what? What should it be? I mean, definitely in the 90s. I say yes. 90, 92 percent would be a minimum. I should right. high. I have high expectations. I would like to see 94 percent maybe 100. or more be reappointed. Yeah. There's always going to be some patients who are moving or um, they just cannot pre-schedule because they're around my neck of the woods in the military. Maybe they might be deployed on right. their next visit, right? Um, but certainly in the high 90s. Um, otherwise, how much manpower and effort are we going to be spending four months from now, six months from now, trying to track that person down and getting them back into the schedule? Yeah, two things. You should always be in the high mid 90s. I like 94, 95. You should never be 100% because you got a few crazies and you should be able to free them up. You're, you don't want to be everyone's dentist. You don't want every patient in there. There's a few that you're going to go, okay, we're just going to let them go into the universe. And over time, you prune it and it becomes stronger and more, you know, it fits your value system. The other thing you're going to find is that if you have three hygienists and you're all tracking reappointment, and two of them are at 94% or one of them is at 94%, one of them is at 92% and one of them is at 78%. The one at 78% is going to go, isn't going to say month over month, I'm still at 78, killing it. You know what I mean? They're going to feel this added and it's a good pressure to like, to, to copy the other two. I would certainly be the hygienist that's at 78% and I'd have to come over and watch Miranda do her thing and go, Miranda, what are you doing? Because I don't like that my number says 78 back there. Can you help me get to 94? And you would certainly say, okay, stop asking people if they want to make an appointment. You schedule them. You know what I mean? Like tell them everything. So you can certainly use these numbers to collect best practices in your own office and raise the bar collectively, correct? Absolutely. Competition, right? A little healthy competition can go a long way. You can build, you know, bonus structures into this type of thing as well. If you really want to build competition when you're in a really healthy financial place. But even just that, like you said, if those numbers are hanging in the break room on your boards month to month, and that one person consistently is in the red when everyone else is in the green, they're going to want to bring that number up. They don't want to be the odd man out for sure. A little no. healthy competition goes a long way. It really does. Now, you also have uh, Perio listed as your number six. Explain what Perio percentage is and what should it be? Yeah. So this is actually one of my favorites because it's, you know, my hygiene heart. I have worked within a couple of practices where we started around 2% and we're able to build that periodontal percentage up into the 20s and 30s within really a, a year to two years of time. So what that is, is how many patients are coming through the hygiene um room right through. So if I'm a hygienist and I'm tracking this, how many patients did I see this month in general? And of those patients, how many were periodontal codes, right? So our full mouth debridement code, our gingivitis therapy code, quadrants or localized periodontal therapy and periodontal maintenance. So of the number of patients I saw, what percentage of them were periodontal patients? And really a healthy number is going to be somewhere in between probably 35 and 45%. That's my range. You, you might have uh, high expectations like me, Kirk. Um, but when we know that the population is, I 
I think statistics report somewhere between 67 and 70% of the adult population over 30 has some form of gum disease. Right. Like to have 2% of our patient population as reported of having gum disease doesn't feel quite accurate, right? So we need to be treating the disease that is there. And I always say hygiene teams, you start with defining health. The easiest thing to do is to define what does health look like? And then you can discern what do we do with all the people that don't look like health? It's harder to teach and align hygienists, especially if multiple hygienists are in one practice, to differentiate the different stages of periodontal disease. And what would you do with this one? The first and easiest thing to do is what does a healthy patient look like that's in my chair? Yeah, just by doing this alone, you are exactly right. You will raise the standard of care. Your patients will get better care. And really, let me speak to the hygienists that might be listening. Most every hygienist that we encounter in our coaching, they're they're well-intended. They want to do the right thing. They just haven't been given permission or the verbal skills or, you know, that clinical calibration. It usually falls in one of those three buckets where they just give permission or the right training and they can soar. It's amazing how they can do that. Yeah, because we all we all know that information. And the biggest factor is we care about the patients. And so right. this goes back to where I mentioned commitment, right? These numbers allow for us to measure, like, what is our true commitment to these patients and how uh, we are implementing optimal care options as we go. And that ties into the next one, which is fluoride. Um, I think fluoride is one of those things that would you like, actually, I was working with a coaching team recently and they switched from foam to varnish and they, they just had it kind of predisposed, predisposed notion that the patients were not going to like the varnish. Like they're used to this. They're not going to like that. It's also just a little bit more expensive. So when we were chatting about it, they're like, well, we have noticed that the acceptance has gone down since we started with the varnish. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about how your hygiene team is bringing that up chairside. And so when, um, you know, she role played that out to me, it was, so we wrap up with the patient and we say, would you like to have your fluoride treatment today? And then the patient says, well, I don't know, how much is it? And then we're telling them, and then they're like, oh, maybe not. And so like you were just saying, it's a little bit around how do we even use the verbal skills to build that value, right? And you know, yeah. I love that. So that we can protect your root surfaces that are exposed from a higher risk of cavities and sensitivity. We're going to apply a fluoride varnish for you today. How does that sound? Great, right? So it's all about how are you delivering the value behind that. And if we see our fluoride percentage is down month after month or week after week, great. Let's get together as a hygiene team and talk countermeasures. What's a way that we can help? make sure our patients are getting access to this product, this treatment that's going to make them healthier over time. It's about bringing that optimal care and seeing the numbers telling us if we're able to do it or not. Yeah, totally. I love that because if you give your team members license to do the right thing with patients and just say, oh, because if you're taking care of me, even if you're my server, I want you to guide me to your favorite thing on the menu. Don't say, yeah, this is the cheapest. Do you want it? You know what I mean? Like, I want to have a great experience here. And I start to trust somebody who's like, okay, it is going to be an additional investment, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to like this because so that, you know, yep. we, and so you, it's important that team members are equipped with the, the right verbal skills. Now, number nine is an important one. Also, these are all important. You have capacity listed there. Tell us about capacity. 
Yeah. So I, I know if anyone wants to hear more about it, you just did a podcast with Christina, but this is just how much open time do we have in our chair? What, how much availability do we have of our providers? And of that availability, how much of it is currently scheduled? So we want to know if I have eight hours a day as a hygienist, am I consistently having eight hours of that day filled with patients? Or am I at five one day and six the next and seven the next? And we're busy, we're so busy and we're booked out until August and we have nowhere to put patients. But consistently when we're tracking capacity, we're seeing that there is holes in the uh, space in the schedule, there are holes. And so now we know if we're booked out six months, that must be last minute cancellations. That's short notice changes in the schedule. How can we do something different to try to combat that? So that's what that number, you know, is able to tell us is how successful are we being with keeping the schedule full? Yeah. And we have a download that I'll put it in the show notes. You can just download it. It's a sheet that each team member just puts in the break room or whatever. And it has all the days listed on the left and they can list the days that they were available and hours that they had butts in the chair. And it makes it super easy. Now I'll piggyback on this, Miranda, cause I love this one. And I, I ask people like, before you even talk about PPOs, this might be the first thing you do. You have to have really good capacity, which means those chairs have to be full with the right type of patients. There are practices we see they're in the 78% capacity range and they add ops, which means it's lousy. So you're adding more lousy to it. And so you're, and then you're looking for a hygienist, which isn't hard to, it isn't easy to find one of them, you know? And so you're just adding them to a lousy, you're expanding under the terms of it's lousy. So don't do that. Get it really tight. Don't try to be all things to all people and make sure that people are showing up and then you can do whatever you want to do. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and bring it on an associate. A lot of people start considering bringing on an associate, but like we need to look at capacity and right. is our schedule truly full and can we really support someone else or do we have do we have some holes going on? Yeah. And we skipped number eight, which is oh, true. We did. Oh, yes. go back. Look at that. See, you gotta get you have to have people around you that are really good at details. <laughs> go back to that. What's treatment acceptance? So treatment acceptance, it can be measured really in two different ways. We can measure of the number of patients who were presented with a restorative or elective option today, what percentage of those patients accepted. So if we presented to two people and one of them moved forward with something, we're at 50%. The other way that that can be measured is based on the dollar amount presented. So we can look at out of the dollar amounts of treatment presented today, what dollar amount percentage was accepted. And so you can track it either way. And it's really important to know that the data is being entered incorrectly to be able to track that information correctly on the back end. But both of those basically tell us how much value are we building and what we're recommending? Are our recommendations working? Is our communication working? What's happening uh, up front when that treatment's being presented by our front office? Do we have the right financial policies in place to help our patients be able to afford the treatment? If we're not doing well in treatment acceptance or patient acceptance of treatment, we have to look at each step in that treatment presentation process and see where is the kink in the chain and how can we create some countermeasures there? Yeah, and I, I ask you that loaded question, what is treatment acceptance? Because 25 years of doing this, just get a group of dentists in a room and say, define treatment acceptance. <laughs> You'll be fascinated by the number of definitions. You you might have seven different definitions. And then there's always the one guy's like, yeah, I'm at 
And you're like, okay, of course you are. So I'm, I'm having fun with you guys. But like, it's one of those things you have to define very clearly so we can all work together and say, are we on track or off track? Now, number 10, you have overhead. Now, this is the prickly porcupine in the room. And <laughs> um, take us down that path. And then I'll share with, with everybody my thoughts on that too. So as you can see clearly, this is number 10. This isn't number one. So yes. <laughs> what is, why would I share my overhead percentage with my team? So I'm going to say two things on this. You might not even need to share the percentage, right? It's going to depend on the team right. to a degree, but they need to know what overhead is. Right. Here's why, because I've worked on a lot of dental teams and I, this is what I hear. I can't believe the doctor is on another trip to... Cancun on a private plane. And did you see that they had a $700 bottle of wine on the table? I can't even get new Cavitron tips, right? So that's the imaging. That's what our storytelling that our team members are often creating around. And I, again, we talk about we're playing, we're playing here a little bit with this story. Right, I mean, for sure. Um, but when team members understand what overhead is, they don't look at gross production at $500,000 last month and assume that the doctor's getting $500,000, right? right? They will understand that there's a cost of doing business. We have to keep the lights on. We have to have someone clean the office. We have to buy trash bags, like down to the most minute detail that it takes to run a business. And it seems um, kind of trivial, I think, sometimes for practice owners, doctors, dentists, leaders, they just assume that people know that information. I'm telling you, team members do not know that overhead is a thing or what it is or how it impacts the practice. So even just the concept of overhead is important to share. And it's really, in my opinion, dependent upon the culture and the health of your team. If you're going to share the percentages or any numbers around that overhead. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh my gosh. You're going to open up a can of worms. I could talk for 10 minutes on this one. So I agree with you. In principle, you have to, like a speaker, you got to know your audience. Okay. If your audience is not ready to hear this information, do not share it because they don't understand even the smallest piece of it. I would also say that overhead there's nine pre prerequisites of this course before we get to 10. Do you know what I mean? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even cover over, overhead would definitely be number 10 on this list. And yeah. um, you have to under, they have to understand that overhead is just a number on a PL statement. So let me just give you an example. So if you collect a million dollars and your overhead is 50%, if I'm a chairside assistant, I pretty much assume you make a half a million dollars a year. <laughs> that is not true at all. You have to pay taxes on that. You probably have loans coming out of your nose. And so that stuff doesn't show up on your PL. At the end of the day, you've had this conversation with your accountant. Your accountant goes, wow, your overhead is 60%. You're killing it. And you go, I don't have any money. It's because you have to pay taxes and all the other bills. And so you do need a team that has a high level of emotional tendency to even understand that. Even with that, I wouldn't share dollar amounts at the end of the day because I'm still going to tell myself a story. So I like to think of it in terms of this. Number one. 
What can the team members help me with? Or how can we help each other? Because you still have that out there component of overhead. I can't control it if I'm a chairside assistant and the dentist wants to buy more equipment and wants to do more stuff. That's out of my control. And I can't even get into a conversation with the dentist about that because I know that's going to get a little dicey. So I, 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 I'll put a little note next to overhead. I agree, but you have to know your audience. They have to be ready for that information. And I think it's also important. If you bring them to any course that I do, I'm going to tell your team, your doctor doesn't make any money anyway. So like, it's okay. Because you can see that he produces or he or she produces 1.5, but you write off 42%. You collect 94%. And so by the end of the day, the dentist is making a little bit more than you. <laughs> you know, so let's not do that anymore. So I would say if you're listening to this podcast and for the first, I would actually focus on maybe the first four, then incorporate the next, you know, five. And then eventually over time, when you got the right people, you can, and they ask you, you can say, I'll tell you what my overhead percentage is, but that is not my take home salary. There are other things that are included in that. And I would just kind of leave it there. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. And you kind of made a good point of what can they control? And that's right. how that's how, can help you to filter what numbers they need to know. And I would counter that with there are a couple of numbers within overhead that I think important are important for the team. True. Supply budget and laboratory. True. Because those the team can impact, right? They When they're getting those lab invoices, they can have a system for double checking charges and making sure that duplicates, you know, charges are on those invoices. And they can monitor for um, things around your lab overhead. Supply is huge. And so what we see a lot of times coming into coaching is we can reduce overhead percentage for doctors pretty quickly just by initially getting on top of managing supplies. So many teams don't track and budget for supplies. They order what they need when they need it. They don't look first to see if there's a hidden stockpile in an operatory that they just kind of forgot about. So when we start bringing the team in to overhead, those are two components that I feel like the team can have some control over if your team members are the ones responsible for ordering, right? Right, right. Would you agree? I would totally agree. And I'm sorry I left those two out because in real simple terms, if your team member who's in charge, you have a champion who's in charge of maintaining the supply budget, they know exactly the number to hit every month and they can get really smart and intentional about making sure we come close to the target. Same thing with lab and that. And then also there's one more elephant in the room. And I'll just say this, when it comes to numbers, if your accountant is delivering you the numbers. And that's how you're learning about the numbers. That is a huge problem. You should come to your meeting with your accountant going, okay, I wanna ask you about the numbers we have. And I've actually been tracking my own set of numbers because I have a great coach like Miranda and she shared with me, this number isn't correct, it isn't correct. Accountants should be working in front of you, not behind you. They should never say, okay, let me tell you. No, they should be like, I'm going to meet with my accountant here shortly. And he's like, okay, we're ahead of schedule. Here's what we're going to do next quarter and the quarter after that. That is a healthy, healthy relationship. So I'll just throw that in the room when it comes into numbers. But Miranda, this has been amazing. And I think at the end of the day, what I want the listeners to understand is you have to make that transition from, oh, I don't want to talk about anything to, yes, I want to talk about the Any last thoughts you have on why and how I should share numbers with my team? 
Well, the why for sure is if you want to build a smarter and healthier team, the numbers are a part of it. And a solid takeaway is going to be, where do I start? I think that's where most people, you know, listen to something like this. This sounds amazing, but like, where do I even start? Start with if you as the practice owner or the office manager, if you're listening, if you're a team member, listen, if you don't know these numbers yourself, learn what KPIs are, start to look into your own. And then once you understand it, start, like you said, to break it down in little bites, bringing it to your team. Maybe you just start by explaining production, gross versus net to your team. And then you slowly integrate new KPIs in over time until you start to build a really strong, committed, accountable, trusting team environment with your team through that process. Okay. You took me from hyperventilating and chest pain to now I'm actually calm. So like, that's exactly... That's exactly the journey you're going to go on. Miranda, that was just brilliant. So I absolutely love that. And that's also a very, I understand it's a tough issue for a lot of dentists, but we're hoping you guys enjoy this. Now, if you struggle even with that, we can help you. Like, just call us. This is all we do all day. We look at numbers and analyze financial gaps. So if you don't understand them, heck, find somebody that understands them. So Miranda, thanks for being on. I really appreciate you. This is awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. Oh, I'm going to have you back again and again and again and again. All right. So <laughs> stick around. We say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening or watching the Best Practices Show. I love this. I love that you keep showing up. I love that you're asking for things. We're lining them all up. And you're going to see we've got an amazing lineup coming here in the next couple of weeks and months. And so um, keep showing up. So until you guys hear from us next time or we see you next time, keep watching or keep listening to the Best practice the show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.